Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Oh, great. Well, I am Dean Infinger. I'm an associate pastor, and I'm filling in this morning for our lead pastor who's taking a much-earned, much-deserved break to spend with a family or do a little bit of traveling, but they'll be back with us. And so uh, if this is your first time here, we're, we're so glad you're here. I hope this service is a blessing to you, and, and I hope you'll come back next week and, and hear Pastor Joe. Uh, we're going to continue our study of James, and this is going to be on the faith and works. It's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 on faith and works. And I want you to, to kind of pray for me this morning. My throat was closing up in the first service and had to stop and get water. And so that may happen this morning, but hopefully the Lord will let me get through this. I was talking to Calvin. He was calling it the Carolina crud. So hopefully we can, we can make it through together. But let's start here with verse 14 and just go through this passage together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have good works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by the works when she received the messengers? And sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Now in this passage, James starts off with a a hypothetical situation. A person who claims that they have faith, but there's no actions really that follow. And by the way, as we're discussing like faith and works, just think of works as as actions, as changes in behavior or good deeds, acts of kindness, things like that. You know, when we've received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we won't just have good deeds, but our whole lifestyle will change. We'll we'll behave differently. You know, a big indicator of someone who's received the Lord is there's such a change in them that people start noticing. They're saying, you know, you're smiling all the time and, and you're you're doing things for other people, and you don't seem to get angry about the stuff that you used to get angry at before. You know, I've heard it said that the greatest evangelism tool is a changed life, and I think that's true because it makes people want to know what is different about you. What is it in your life that has changed? So, in my opinion, James may be pointing out that some will claim 
that they have great faith, but their actions don't follow through it. They really say the opposite. In verse 14, he asks this question. You say you have faith, but I don't see any changes in your life. Your attitude and your actions and works really don't back that up. So that's not a faith that demonstrates a heart change. Now, can you think of people that make claims or promises in our culture, but there's never any follow-through, there's not action for those promises or claims? You know, I'm reminded of, of an old story about a couple, and they had a young son, and he turned 18, and they were really not sure about what path he was going to follow, whether he was going to follow a good path or whether he was going to follow a bad path. Uh, they felt they had raised him well, but, you know, he was a teenager. He was fully capable of getting into trouble. So they, they devised a test. They knew that he was going out with his friends that night, and, and by the little table by the door, they put a liquor bottle and they put a Bible. And they said, you know, if he picks the Bible, he's going to be on a good path. But if he picks the liquor bottle, well, then he's going to be on a bad path. And so they hide in the other room, and they peek through the door. And he's headed out to meet his friends, and he goes, and he stops at that table, and he looks, and he sees the Bible and the liquor bottle. And he picks up the liquor bottle, and he starts reading the label, and their hearts sink. Oh, no, he's going to go down a bad path. But then he puts the bottle down, and he picks up the Bible, and he starts leafing through the Bible, and they're like, ah. Oh, this is going to be great. He's going to choose a good path. And then in one motion, he puts the Bible under his arm, picks up the liquor bottle, and walks out the door. And, and the wife is going, well, what does that mean? He took both. He took both and walked out the door. And the husband said, oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. He's going to be a politician. <laughs> so there are people that some politicians, not all, that claim and give promises. But that doesn't follow through. You know, let's, let's take a look back at this first. Let's look at, at James uh, 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Essentially, James is saying faith and works go hand in hand. Do you really have faith without actions? And, and if you say that you have faith and there's no works to show for it, what kind of faith is that? That's, that's like a superficial faith. James is making the, that case that we will see works. We won't see one without the other. It shouldn't just be lip service. Have you been around people who, who talk a good game, but it doesn't follow through? In other words, I have tremendous faith, and I'm, I'm all spiritual, but then when hardship comes, they, they go into despair, or they actually turn away from the Lord. Our faith in, in Jesus Christ should just naturally result in good works. Remember, we, we are a new creation in Christ, and we'll begin to live differently, loving God and loving others. To illustrate this point, he uses this over-the-top, exaggerated example. Read with me in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body. What good is that? There, there's no action there. So let's put it in a real example for the day. Imagine that this morning I 
performed a baptism. I've done a couple of those. So I performed a baptism this morning, and I'm back in that little cubbyhole office of Joe's, and I'm changing clothes. And about midway through changing clothes, I think I hear somebody call my name in the hall. So I wrap a towel around me, and I step into the hall, and the door closes and locks behind me. So I'm in a spot. So what I decide to do is I'm going to come down the back stairs over here and I'm going to peek right through that curtain and see if I can get some help. So I just get my head through and I look around and I catch Walter looking that way. And I'm like, Psst, Walter. And so Walter walks over to where I am and he says, what's going on? I said, hey, I stepped into the hallway. I'm just wearing a towel and I can't get in the door and I'm getting kind of cold. Uh, you, you think you could help me out? And Walter says, man, Dean, you're in a predicament. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that the Lord rescues you. <laughs> and I'm going to send warm thoughts your way. That wouldn't do me much good. Clayton, you need to talk to your dad a little bit there. We want to make sure he helps me out next time. But that, that is the type of example that, that James has given us, this over-the-top Example. So also faith by itself, as it doesn't have works, is dead. In other words, faith without action is dead. James is saying if you claim you have faith, there will be action. There's not empty words. And the Bible often uses fruit trees to illustrate points. And the works or actions, acts of kindness, are the good fruit that's produced by faith. So the question that we should ask ourselves is, where's the fruit in my life? Is, is my faith demonstrated in actions or is it just words? Do I live out my faith where I live, work, and play? In verse 18, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. The commentaries point out that that phrase, you have faith and I have works, could have been better worded to say something like, one person has faith and another has deeds. Basically saying that faith and works are not related. However, James is saying, you're not going to have one without the other. And he continues this argument in 19, but here's what he does. He gives you a spiritual example. In James 2:19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know who God is. They know Jesus, but they're in rebellion. They fear him, but they don't serve him. Their works, their actions are evil. You remember the story in Acts of the seven sons of Sceva? It was about these Jewish exorcists, and they decide to use what Paul's method and the name of Jesus to expel spirits, but it doesn't go well for them. Acts 19, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So we see these seven sons of Sceva trying to use the name of Jesus, but they don't have faith in him. 
they don't recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They haven't surrendered their life to him. They simply want to use his name as a recipe or a method to expel evil spirits. But there's been no heart change, and it doesn't go well for them. It becomes this embarrassing disaster. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, I'm, I'm on the football team. I got my helmet, my pads, and my cleats, you know, and I like the crowds and the band. I love the atmosphere. I listen to the coach. You know, I, I love the free Gatorade, but I don't actually get out on the field. I, I just kind of stay here on the sidelines. Or we can see it in church. You know, I, I come to the services. I listen to the pastor. I love the atmosphere, the praise and worship. I love the children's program. I get a little break from the kids for an hour and a half. I say all the Christian things. Be blessed. I'm praying for you. But I leave church and my actions are just like the world around me. Or worse. That's, that's a faith without actions. And that's really not faith at all. So what exactly is faith. I think Hebrews has the best definition. Hebrews 11.1. 1. If we look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So through the sacrifice of Jesus, his death on the cross and the forgiveness of my sins, I receive Jesus as my Savior, my Lord. So I'm, I'm assured of eternity. I'm assured of an abundant life now, a relationship with him. And yet, I've never seen God. I've never seen Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but I, I know they're real. I've experienced them. They're active in my life. I know that God hears me when I pray, and I know that Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. And I know that I can ask for forgiveness of sins. I have faith in God. And isn't that better than having faith in other things, a, a bank account or your home or your job or the government? Here are, here are just a few of the things that Hebrews 11 says. It's, it's often called the hallmark of faith chapter because it continues to point out these examples of faith. And here's just a few. Noah constructed an ark because he believed God when he told him there'd be a flood, Abraham left home trusting God for the land he would provide and when tested offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Moses led Israel by faith through the Red Sea. Rahab the prostitute had faith in God and protected the Israelite spies. That's all in that verse in that chapter 11. But on and on we see these examples of great faith. But did you notice that with each example of great faith there was action that was required. Noah had to build the ark. Abraham had to leave home. Moses had to lead the Israelites through the Red Sea. And this is the same argument that you see here in James chapter 2, 20 through 25. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is saying, do you want proof? Here's the proof. Remember the patriarchs or read the Bible or in his time read the Torah you know, the Bible is, uh, has this undeniable factor that faith is demonstrated through actions, through words. In other words, true faith is not stagnant, it's active. It's not stagnant, it's active. Our text ends with that verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A body without a spirit is, is nothing but a corpse. And James is saying faith with no action, no deeds, is as dead as a corpse. It's useless. The question is, do your actions provide evidence of your faith? So take just a moment. Think about last week. Was it a week that showed your faith in Christ? Did your actions speak louder than your words? You know, and I love the evidence question. In other words, if you were on trial for being a Christian and they looked at the last week of your life, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, let's shift gears for a little bit because there's often a misunderstanding about what's said in the book of James and the writing of the Apostle Paul. James has emphatically stated that we'll see this combination of faith and works. However, Paul he, he really stresses the importance of grace and faith. So let's look in Ephesians uh, 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the question is, are, are James and Paul in conflict? You know, James is saying you're going to have faith, you will have works, and poses the question, can faith save him? And Paul's saying it's only by faith in God's grace that we're saved. But it's very important to always know the context. James and Paul are really addressing two different issues. James is addressing superficial faith or faith that's not real at all, while Paul is addressing legalism earning your salvation through your own efforts or works. And remember, Paul was a Pharisee, so he knew all about those efforts of keeping the law and doing these different things to really attain righteousness when a lot of the Pharisees were doing these things, but their hearts were far away from God. But if we read just those two verses, if we look at verses 8 and 9, we could kind of say, well, which is it? Is it, is it faith in works, or is it just faith in God's grace? And, and there's many places in the Bible where you may start to think the Bible contradicts itself, or you've heard people say that, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, you can't just pull a verse out of context. You have to look at the entire context. So what we're going to do, we're going to look back at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but we're going to just add in verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't it amazing what that one additional verse makes? We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Now, it really doesn't sound like a contradiction. We see that Paul and James are not preaching different messages. Faith and works do go hand in hand. However, just like this example, as we grow as Christians, as we study the Bible, there may be things that we don't understand. And I want to challenge you this morning to dig into those. Do some research. You know, we've, we've got the computer. You can look up different translations, the Greek. Ask someone that you trust who's well-versed in the Bible. That's important to do. Because sometimes people can get turned away from the faith because they don't understand. I saw an interview one time with uh, Oprah Winfrey, and she was talking about being spiritual. And it kind of sounded like that all roads lead to heaven type of spirituality. And she said at one point, though, that she had started reading the Bible, but got turned off to the Bible when she read that God was a jealous God. And if you look at those scriptures, you realize that it's really talking about idol worship. And we know that God is the one true God. Idols are just a hunk of wood or silver or metal or something like that. They can do nothing for you. It's not that God is an envious God. Not in that respect, it's more that he is a protective. His jealousy is protective. He knows if you're worshiping, this is going to do nothing for you. Worship me. Come to me as God. Then you will have the abundant life. He's jealous for his children. For the joy of us knowing him. You know, I do hope that after that talk show, somebody reached out to Oprah and explained that. I hope that someone told her that this God that she read about in the Bible loves her, loves her so much that he sent his only son to die for her. But we see this, this topic of works and actions and good needs or acts of kindness, however you want to phrase it. And we don't want to fall into legalism like Paul. So let's talk about works. Let's just talk specifically about works because we want to beware of a works-based theology. You know, it's not about earning our salvation uh, or doing these things, hoping to gain God's favor. It's really about a heart to work with God. You know, and a lot comes down to motivation and acting. You know, you want to know everything about the person and you want to know what their motivation is. And so for your works, we want to know what is our, our motivation. It's an important question to ask ourselves. What is my motivation for doing this? You know, are my motives pure? Or do I have an agenda? Or is this action actually filling some kind of need within me? You know, I'm naturally a people pleaser. I want people to like me. You know, it's just the way I'm wired. So a good question to ask myself is, hey, am I doing this to gain favor with someone? Am I doing this just because I want them to like me? Or, or am I actually being obedient to God? Is this something that he's shown me? Another thing that we have to be aware of is what I call the give to get theology or give-to-get actions. Beware of the give-to-get actions. In other words, what can I gain 
from this act of kindness. You know, I, um, I've often been saddened and really angry at times with the prosperity gospel that you see. You see it with televangelists that wanted people to give into their ministry, and they would say things like seed money. Try and find seed money in the Bible. But they would say, you know, if you only have a seed money gift of $10 for my ministry, then you can only expect $100 in return. But if you have seed money of $100, you can expect to receive 1000 and if you have seed money of 1000 you can expect to receive 10000 If you have seed money of 10000 you can expect 100000 And if you open seven bank accounts, the Lord's going to fill every one. That's, that's the wrong motive. If your motive is just about money or to get rich, it's wrong. And that's that, that want to give to really get rich. It's the wrong motive. And God knows your heart. It's not a recipe to get rich. We want to give to be obedient to God. You know, he wants you to have an abundant life. But listen, an abundant life is not just money. When you give just to get money, you're actually limiting God. Now, you should give, you should tithe, you should give offerings, but an abundant life could be your health. That old phrase, when you have your health, you have everything, is so true. You could need healing. He can bless your children and your grandchildren. He can rescue a wayward child or bring someone out of addiction. He can keep your car running longer than it should. He can restore a relationship that you never thought could be repaired. Please don't limit God. He can do far more than we can think or imagine. And that's a promise from Scripture. Now, what about if your motivation for your act of kindness or work or whatever it is, is really just to bring attention to yourself. You know, we see buildings that are named after people, hospital wings, and, and I'm not saying these things are bad, and I'm sure the hospitals and charities want to honor those people that have made a significant donation. But is your deed simply about impressing others or to get some form of recognition? You know, I grew up, we have a family business in, in Goose Creek, and when they built the new city hall complex, they had these commemorative bricks. So you could, you could support the city of Goose Creek by buying these bricks. And they came to our business and said, you know, would you guys buy some bricks, and we're, we're going to use the money for something that we want to do in city hall, but would you, would you be willing to do that? And we said, sure. So we ponied up some money, and um, we got three bricks for my brother and my mom and myself. And I was up at City Hall, and the city administrator was talking to me, and he goes, Dean, have you, have you found your brick? And I said, um, no. And he said, well, he goes, well, they're all in the walkway out there. If you go, you can find your brick with your name on it. He goes, it's alphabetical order. You ought to go out there and look. I'm like, well, okay, you know, I got my name there on City Hall. So, you know, I go, I go walking down, and I get to the eyes. And I see my brother's brick, Robert Enfinger, and I see my mother's brick, Lillian Enfinger, but I don't see my brick. And now I'm getting, you know, a little bit perturbed, like, where's my brick? <laughs> and then I notice it is over to the right, there's two other bricks with some writing on it. And so I go over there, and there's a brick for the Catholic Church, and then there's my brick. And that's when I found out 
how highly the city of Goose Creek thinks of me. Because it said Dean Enfinger, and above that it said Immaculate Conception. <laughs> we have to be careful if it is simply for recognition. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So the test is, if your motivation for your good work is more about recognition than the cause, it's the wrong motivation. You know, in these examples that, that I've given, you notice that the, the work and the deed or the action can be more about ourself, more about the person than God, where our actions and our deeds should really come from this loving relationship with our Father. From this relationship, we're given eyes to see what's around us, where the needs are. And that motivation is really just to be obedient to God, to work with Him. You know, it could simply be listening to someone who needs to vent or talk about issues in their life. It could be calling someone or texting someone the Lord puts on your heart. Maybe it's letting someone squeeze in front of you in traffic on Dorchester Road. It could be picking up trash from your neighbor's yard or rolling their trash can up to the house. And sometimes it can be hard, like an act of kindness towards someone who's hurt you or maybe an enemy, or doing something for someone who's not grateful. You know, oh, I'm glad you mowed the grass. I guess you were too lazy to do the hedges. Those are hard, but you know, it's not about us. It's about being obedient to God and working with Him in things that He shows us. And when it's hard, when you feel maybe unappreciated, or when you feel like you're knocking yourself out, and, and it, it's making really no difference, and nobody's noticing, God notices. You know, I was, as I was preparing this message, there was, I love the YouVersion Bible app, and there was this verse of the day and a commentary after that, and it fits so well in this. Uh, I want to I share it with you this morning. And it's from Hebrews 6.10, and it says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. God remembers. God remembers when you listen with empathy and understanding to someone. He remembers when you treat your neighbor as yourself. He remembers those acts of kindness to the ungrateful or even an enemy. He remembers you letting that car slip in or getting, letting someone go in front of you in the grocery line. But do you know what God forgets? He forgets those sins that we ask forgiveness for. As far as the east is from the west, that's what he forgets. But he remembers 
every act of kindness. Our actions, our deeds, let them come from that loving relationship with God. And with this loving relationship, we work with God. We're given those eyes to see the needs around us. When I think of a, a loving relationship, I had a, I had a good friend uh, when we were growing up, and he was, well, he was just rough. I'll be honest. He was just one of those rough guys who was brash, and he was a hunter and a fisher, and he did everything in a big way, and he was loud, and he was just this man's man. You know, he'd come over. He was at the grill with the big steaks. But, and he, he met a girl named Sherry. His name was Dennis. And Dennis met Sherry and just fell hard in love. So if there was a love tree, he hit every branch on the way down. And we have this get-together. It's a big football game. Everybody's excited about the big game. And he's out there in his regular spot grilling. And then we're all in there watching the game. And at a certain point, we realize that Dennis isn't in the room. And one of the guys goes, come here. you got to see this. Come here. And we look in the kitchen, and Dennis is in the kitchen with Sherry doing the dishes. Can you believe this? Dennis is in there doing dishes. And Dennis is smiling and giggling, and he's having the best time. But he's right next to Sherry. He's in her presence, and he loves her so much. And you know what? It wasn't work, where he would normally never do the dishes. He was as happy as a clam to be doing those dishes. That's the way that we want to have our good deeds. and want to come from that relationship with God where it's really not about the work. It's really just about being with God. And it's born out of that loving relationship, born out of just spending time with our Father, that we work with Him and we allow those good works that He has prepared to be a part of our life, a part of our life that he will always remember. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just, I thank you so much, Lord, that, that we are privileged to be in your family. I thank you so much that you sent your son to, to die on a cross for us, for me. Lord, that it is, it is not about my works, that, that that is your gift. I simply have to accept it. So, Father, thank you. And, Lord, I thank you that, that there are good works that I can walk in, that I can join you in the things that you are doing in this world, in the lives that you're redeeming. Lord, I thank you for the heart changes in people that come to know you. Lord, that to begin to live this abundant life that, that's not really about money or material possessions. It's about that relationship with you, that loving relationship that you give, the way that you guide us. So, Lord, as, as we go out today, as we encounter other people, Lord, give us those eyes to see the needs around us. Lord, give us that heart to be ready to do good works. Lord, but let it not be about us. Let it be those works that come from your heart, the ones that you always remember. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.